Jezebel controlling you? Is Jezebel controlling you? So <laughs> that's taking it pretty deep quickly. Um, so, you know, we will get into that. So looking, we're looking at growing and setting ourselves up for growth. Growth, not growths. Otherwise, there's a problem. And uh, I want to start off by, by asking like, you just to think about this for a moment. What are you trusting God for? What are you trusting God for? So think about that for a moment. Don't say, tell your neighbor. Uh, just think about it, you and Jesus, for a moment. But what are you trusting God for? You know? Another question I would ask is, what are you feeding on? What are you feeding on? Um, you know, someone who's training for a, a, a marathon, um, I would imagine that they're going to, because I wouldn't be doing that, but I would imagine that they would be having the proper diet. I remember actually talking to Leandro, your brother, about this and asking about the diet and the discipline and all of that and uh, years back. And uh, like there's a, a very um, detailed uh, lifestyle that goes with that. But what you eat is important. You know, I realized uh, last night we had um, uh, pasta with um, a great sauce, and I realized you are what you eat. I'm a pasta. Uh, <laughs> anyway. But the point is, is like what I've realized is you cannot grow if you're not planted somewhere. And we're going to get into that verse in a, in, a, in a little bit, but you cannot grow if you're not planted somewhere. Now I want to change direction a little bit and ask, what's the difference between a grace message and a legalistic message? What's the difference between a grace message and a legalistic message? If you think about a grace message, I want to ask the question, is it a message that doesn't make you feel bad? So think about it. Is a grace message a ma message which doesn't make you feel bad and always leaves you feeling good? The answer is no. Okay. Or is a grace message one which reveals the finished work of Jesus and then corrects your thinking to fall in line with that? And make, sometimes would make you feel bad because you don't think right and you know you need to change. So it's not wrong to feel bad, especially if you're wrong. <laughs> what you need to do is not camp there, but grow and move forward. Okay? It might not feel good. Uh, uh, you might feel bad, but embrace the truth, embrace correction when it comes because it's in love and then uh, rise into greater freedom. Rise into greater fruitfulness. Amen? A legalistic message. Uh, I've heard too many people uh, label truth as legalism. They label truth as legalism. So, because it makes them feel bad. So, the point is, is if you are wrong, when someone presents you with the truth, it doesn't mean that is legalism. It could be love. And it's important for us to see that. It's an opportunity not for us to become condemned and to suffer under condemnation, but for us to step into freedom. Because knowing the truth brings freedom. But sometimes, if you're going down the wrong road and truth comes and it points out that you're wrong, sometimes we're too full of pride to enjoy that. We don't like that. Most people don't like people pointing out what's wrong with you. And it's not a good habit to have that you go and point out people's faults. <laughs> bring out the gold in them. But sometimes we need to bring correction. Okay? Just because a message makes you feel uncomfortable doesn't mean it's legalistic. Obviously, I'm setting you up for something, right? Just because a message makes you feel compelled to do something doesn't mean it's legalistic. The word compelled, think about that for a moment. 
Just because you listen to a message and you feel compelled doesn't mean it's legalism. Anyway, let, it's not wrong to feel compelled. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to look at verse 11 from the New Living, from verse 14 from the NIV, 15 in the ERV, and then 20 in the NIV, all on the screen there. So, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, now there's a, a verse that a lot of grace people need to scratch out their Bibles because the R word is a cuss word. Responsibility. But maturity means responsibility. Okay? If you're growing and maturing, it means you're going to start to be responsible. Okay? Are we struggling with this, this slides there? Anyway, you can follow me then. 2 Corinthians 5.11 and then verse 14 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. So, look at that. It's like, it says, Christ's love compels us. Compels us. For a good reason. Jesus died for all of us. Verse 15, He died for all so that those who would live would not continue to live for themselves. That condemn, makes a lot of people feel condemned. Okay, He died for all so that those who would live would not continue to live for themselves. He died for them and was raised from death so that they would live for Him. So that already gives your um, Christianity, your salvation, a purpose. What's the purpose? Living for Him. Living for Him. Then in verse uh, 20 from the NIV it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making His appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So there's also kind of bringing out a purpose that we have in our <laughs> salvation. That we are now ambassadors of Christ. And there's a lot of things in this, this passage which is really good. But the word compels, it says, Christ's love compels us. Okay? Compels means urges. In the, 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 the Greek definition, it gives the idea of arresting, like a prisoner. So it's like you, you have no control over your... You, you don't have freedom to do something other than be a prisoner. So Christ's love compels us. What does it compel us to? In verse 14, it tells us that Christ's love compels us because Christ died for us and rose from the dead. So it doesn't tell us what it compels us to. But you have to look at the context to find out what does Christ's love compel us to. And uh, verse 20 shows us to be ambassadors of Christ. Verse 18 shows us to share the, the message of reconciliation. So knowing the love of God should result that we feel compelled... To live for Him. How do you live for Jesus? As an ambassador of Christ. You don't live for Jesus by being a good person. By being a moral person. There's lots of religions which are, have morality. That's not Christianity. We are uh, 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 compelled to live for Him by helping people hear the gospel. By helping people come to know Him. Okay, Many people just want to hear messages about the love and the goodness of God, and the grace of God, and all of that, and, you know, the favor of God, and what Jesus has done for us, and that's not wrong, okay? But what they mean 
is they want to push a full stop there and they don't want the compelled part. And you can't listen, if you're listening to a message on the love of God and you don't feel compelled, you either weren't listening or the person wasn't preaching properly. Because the message will cause you to do something. It will compel you towards something. Okay? It, it, it's not something that you can just uh, walk away and feel good about. It, it, you walk away and you're like, I've got to do something. I, there's something that I need to do. You know, if, if, if you hear a message on the love of God, it should cause you to want to give more. It should cause you to want to reach out to people. It should cause you to want to forgive people that you need to forgive. It should cause like an overflow of Jesus. If you hear the message of love. Okay? So, if the reality of our salvation is truly impacting us, it's going to result in us living for Jesus. How do we live for Jesus? Making Him known. Okay? So, salvation comes, um, you know, firstly from Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9, it says, by grace through faith. Okay? It's not of your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So, Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. Salvation is... A gift. It's something that we receive by faith. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 to 10 says, If we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart, we're saved. And there's a lot more detail there that you can go look at. But if we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths, what I like about that is it's showing us that salvation is really simple. It's believing a message. But that message impacts us where it overflows towards the world. Okay, many people want to hear messages uh, 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 about many different things, but this is the message that Jesus has called us to, to give. And that is the message of believe the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. So many Christians that have believed the gospel, they're born again, okay? Hopefully I'm, I'm, all of us are born again. We believe the gospel we believed in Jesus' death, His burial, and His resurrection. We've received that eternal life. And that's good. But many Christians still are living for themselves, not living for Jesus. And that verse said that He died so that we would live for Him. Not live for ourselves. So the challenge is, is to ask ourselves, am I living for Jesus or am I living for myself? And that's something that I think you would need to have a, a conversation with God to, to come to an answer about but you sh it should be easy enough to see. Are you living for yourself or are you living for Jesus? And I think a lot of Christians have sadly created an, their own image of God. They've created their own image of God and so they're not worshipping the God of the Bible. They're not worshipping Jesus. They're worshipping an idea that they have about God. Okay, they're serving a God that they've made up in their minds. They might still be genuinely saved. They might still be genuinely saved because they believed in Jesus for His death, burial, and resurrection. So, you know, they've got their fire insurance. But now, it's a case of they're not going to experience the abundant life. Why? Because... They, they, they don't know who God really is. They've made up a God. Okay, when someone makes a statement like this, and I know no one here has made a statement like this before, but when someone says, well, I believe that God would 
dot, dot, dot. Or, I believe that God is like this, dot, dot, dot. Or, I believe that God would do this or that. If we say things like that without being able to back it up with Bible, we've created our own God. And I must say, in the last year even, I've spoken to many Christians who love Jesus, but it's the Jesus that they've made up in their minds. Because they would, would, they, I remember one conversation, someone saying, well, I believe that because of grace, this is how God would deal with this situation. And I had to go, but that's wrong. Yeah, but that's not very graceful, is it? I'd be like, well, wrong is still wrong. God still loves you, but that is wrong. And it's funny because in their mind, they're like, Jesus just loves everyone and everything gets, is fine and everything goes. And yes, Jesus loves everyone, but it's not a case of free for all, everything goes. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And we can't make up a God in our own minds and serve Him because ultimately you're serving yourself, you're not serving God then. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. It's a great um, account, and you can go look at the whole chapter there, but it's Elijah stands in front of, you know, it's, it's the show. There we go, thank you uh, uh, for finding it. There, so there's this showdown between the prophet of God and all the prophets of Baal, and Elijah stands in front of the prophets of Baal and says, how, uh, in front of everyone, not just the prophets of Baal, in front of the king, and says, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. So, consider it. Think about it. Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you follow God or believe in God? Why do you worship Jesus? If he is God, then worship him and follow him because he's God. Sadly, a lot of people follow Jesus or worship Jesus because of what they can get, what they think they can get. I think I've said this here before. I um, um, can't remember who it is or who said this, but someone said, um, it's amazing. They, they did a study in Canada um, and I think the UK because a lot of Africans would go to work there and um, they've been raised to go to church and to believe God and to be part of church and all this. And then they go overseas and they don't do anything. They don't go to church. They don't, they're not do, they don't do anything. And so they, they, they ask the question, why is this? And they studied it out and they realized it's because most of them are having their prayers answered by the government now. Meaning all the government, all, the, all their prayers were to do with tangible needs and now the government's looking after them so why must they go to church because they don't have to, they have nothing to pray for anymore <laughs> so it's a good question to ask ourselves why are we worshiping jesus why are we following jesus you know um uh, i heard one one preacher say you know it, obviously we love god for who god is but we mustn't forget that there are benefits like the psalmist wrote Praise the Lord, O my soul, and almost all that is within me, praise His holy name, forget, and then somewhere forget not all His benefits. We mustn't forget His benefits. Obviously, don't forget the benefits of knowing God, but I doubt that's talking about your, your bank balance. 
There's many more benefits to, to knowing God than your bank balance. Amen? So, let me find my space here quickly. Let's get on to Jezebel. So, sadly, <laughs> there's a lot of wrong teaching in the church. Okay? And that results in confusion. And one of the things it results in is uh, ineffectiveness. And in the book of Revelation, there's a letter to the church of Thyatira. Thyatira. How are we going to pronounce that? Anyway. Look what Jesus says in Revelation 2. Okay. Verse 19 to 20 from the easy standard, or the English standard version, sorry. I know your works, your love, and faith, and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Okay, now, if you want to do a bit of a, a, a history lesson on who Jezebel is, you go back into the Old Testament and you realize that she's dead. But now she's popping up in, in Revelation, <laughs> in one of the churches. So there's something that we need to pay attention to here. Okay, so be, what, this, what, what Jesus is saying in this, 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 these verses here is that because of compromise, wrong teachings that they were tolerating had entered into the congregation, the church. And now there was confusion. Jesus plus something. Okay? The doctrine, if you read that whole passage, it starts to speak about the, uh, the doctrine of Jezebel or the teaching that, that comes with Jezebel. And so it's the doctrine or the teaching of Jezebel that came into that church and then people were seduced. What does seduced mean? Led astray, pulled aside, kind of deceived. Okay? They were deceived or seduced uh, uh, into fornication and eating food sacrificed to, uh, um, to idols. And those people were in church. They were Christians. So Christians were uh, uh, committing fornication. And there was Christians who were eating food sacrificed to idols in that church. And that's why Jesus is writing here. Okay? So, what we believe, this is what this shows, what we believe is vital. What we teach is vital. Why? Because it results in how we live. So, you know, we're going to look at what does it mean to eat food sacrificed to idols and what it means to commit adultery or fornication. I'll explain that to you in a moment. And I can do it without biology. So, I hope you're ready for that. <laughs> Some of you have eaten food sacrificed to idols without even seeing an idol. And some of you may uh, 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 be completely pure sexually and yet you're a fornicator. And so it's not talking about physical acts. So this church had the right doctrine, but they tolerated the wrong doctrine. They tolerated wrong teaching in it. And so... A church can be well taught, but something starts to shift and things start to change. Okay, why? Because there could be people who get bored. There's people who get bored. They get restless. They start uh, 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 looking for variety because they're bored. They're tired of the message or they're tired of the package that the message comes in. <laughs> the messenger. 
You know, they're tired of what's going on because they are, are, are familiar with it. And so the, the impact of what's being ministered isn't being received. And so what would happen is they start to wonder, look elsewhere. Okay? And uh, they hear about a visiting preacher somewhere else or their favorite uh, pop star preacher somewhere in town. And so then they decide that they're going to go, uh, go here. And then what happens? You know, they, 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 they start receiving a mixed diet. It could be a good message, and they're not receiving a mixed diet, but I'm taking it from the negative side. Okay? You start listening to someone else out there, or you go there, and it starts to infect you. <clears throat> Compromise comes. And then what happens? You start to cause a pro bigger problem in the church because you take two friends with you. And how does it work? How does it work? You're sitting there, and uh, this usually happens with prophets, so I will uh, 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 um, use them as an example. But you'll, you'll be in a meeting and then prophet so-and-so will pull you out and tell you your whole family history and tell you everything about yourself, including your shoe size and your phone number. And you'll be impressed, impressed so much that when they come to teach the word and it's garbage, you'll take it. Because, wow, did you see how they ministered to that person? Or the power of God did this, or there was a healing, or they knew my phone number, and they knew what I told somebody 10 years ago, and who, how could they know that? You know, and we're impressed with those kind of things. And, uh, and so it starts to open up our hearts to deviate from the purity of, and the simplicity of Christ. So, <clears throat> Psalm 92, verse 11 to 14. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat. Amen? And flourishing. <laughs> so, what I want to show you there is like, <clears throat> we need to be planted if we want to be fruitful. You can't be a, 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 a gypsy in terms of church. And then have, a, have a, a healthy spiritual life. I remember this actually years back when Martin and I were still uh, pastoring in Stellenbosch. Um, we had a, a relationship series the one, one time. And a, a visitor came. And um, I went to greet the visitor afterwards. And uh, uh, some of you know this visitor. And so I went up to him and I was like, hello, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Shane Wawa. And his first thing he says to me is... It, this was a great service. I enjoyed it, but um, I'm, I'm just visiting. I believe we're all one church, and so, you know, next week, I, I'm probably going to another church, or, you know, I'm, I kind of, this was before the service. Like, he, he says he likes to visit around and kind of just receive here and receive there and, and all of this kind of stuff, and so he says, um, so, you know, please don't expect me to be back. Then we, at the service, advertised the relationship weeks, uh, service, um, teaching starting the next week, so he came for that. And then he came the next week. And then he came the next week. And eventually, like, uh, he was hooked through the relationships and all of this. And uh, he's doing well in the church. Henry, for those of you who know Henry. And uh, the, <laughs> the point is, is he's experienced a lot of fruitfulness in his life because he got planted. But if he had carried on with those um, wayward tendencies, he wouldn't have had any fruitfulness. It would have been, you know, he, he wouldn't have been connected to as many people as well. But anyway, this shows us that we will be planted 
in the house of the Lord and we shall flourish. Okay? You, the mansion, individually, some of you won't understand this because you haven't been listening, but the, you're the mansion of God. Okay? And together we're the house of God. So you cannot be fruitful unless you're planted in a community. If you look at all the churches uh, in Revelation, the letters to the churches, it's, it's written to a community of believers, not an individual. It's written to the pastor of those churches. But anyway, if you look at all the letters of the New Testament, most of them are written to not an individual, but a community. So we, 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 it's important for us to, to kind of see that. We need to be planted if we want to flourish. So what are we feeding on? Because if we, we, we like the razzmatazz of Prophet so-and-so down the street when he comes to town, and we receive that mixed diet, and then we start following him online, and then trying to mix it with church stuff, you'll start to dilute what God's trying to do in your life. And there could be some good things out there that you can receive, and it helps, but a lot of the time, we go for razzmatazz. <laughs> we don't go for substance. Why? Because we like something exciting we don't like something that's boring we don't like something that's uh, too much word if you know if we were to call a a, a, a a meeting for just let's study the word today um you'd have some of most of you would come i'm sure but people don't like meetings like that they want to come for the prophet you know I, 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 we were talking about this as leaders recently just how um often uh, if, we, if we have Marcus Wick who, who kind of ministers prophetically and he comes, the hall's full. <laughs> you know, the hall's full. Why? People come that don't ever come. People come who've left the church. Why? We've had that once. We had a conference with them and then the people came that left because they were upset with us and now they're all of a sudden here asking the prophet to pray for them. Anyway. So if you feed on something wrong but it's exciting... You know what's going to happen is you're going to develop an appetite for it. You, you're training yourself to have a, an unhealthy appetite and then you let go of the simplicity of Christ and you become overpowered by a seducing spirit. Okay, that was light, I know. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So this is what's happening in the church. Okay? But can you see there that you give in to seducing spirits which seek to destroy you? They don't overtake you. It's not like they can just come and clap, clap you over and you're done. Like it doesn't work like that. What happens is you give in to it. And then they destroy you because you're restless. Because you're wanting something fresh. Because you're wanting something uh, more spectacular. Because you're familiar with what you've got. Okay? Why? Because you're not content. Why? Because you're greedy. That's where it starts. You hear a message that makes you feel good, but it's poison. And because you, you felt good about that poison and it appeals to your carnality, I'm going to devour it. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with this. Why? Because you're not content. Don't get caught up in listening to all exciting people out there. Look for substance. Look for something solid. If they reveal Christ to you and make you want to live more for Jesus, then it's probably worthwhile. But if they're appealing to your carnality, 
Ignore them. If they're causing you to want to live more for Jesus and be more selfless, it's probably okay. Then go for it. But if they're just appealing to your carnality, run. <laughs> okay? You can usually tell what the ministry is about or the minister's about by their um, tagline. Okay? So you need to make sure that you're feasting on Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. Because feasting on a mixed message is adultery. Feasting on a mixed message is fornication. And that's what the, 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 the church there in Revelation was being rebuked for. You're cheating on Jesus, your first love. You know what? If you see Jesus and you've got this revelation of Jesus and you're excited about Jesus, why would you look for something else? It's because we allow ourselves to get, uh, um, what's the word, complacent. And so we all settle down and kind of we get bored with this or we get bored with that because it's familiar and whatever. And, you know, you, you, you lost the spark of that first love. Okay? So in the church of Revelation there, they had a doctrine of Christ, but now they started adding to it. can't tell you how many times over the years people are like bored with the message. They're like, when are you going to teach something else? Because it's the same thing, just maybe a different kind of angle or something. And those are the people I'm talking about now. Yeah. The church of Ephesus in, uh, in Revelation was rebuked for having left their first love. That's what we're talking about. Is Are we focused on Jesus? Or are we like, what can I put with Jesus to make it more exciting? I need some spice. <laughs> yeah, the, the, this teaching of Jezebel is explained as a doctrine or a teaching which seduces believers into fornication and eating food offered to idols. Look at Revelation 2, 20 and 40. No, not 40, 24. <laughs> so, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching, you, teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. But to the rest of you, entire Tyra, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. It's interesting how the doctrine or teaching of Jezebel is also called the deep things of Satan. The deep things of Satan. Okay? Now, if you, ha uh, <laughs> if you went to a meeting and they introduced the meeting as, we're going to today reveal to you the deep things of Satan, I'm pretty sure we would all run a mile. Yeah, 100%. Okay? But if you look at the word Satan in the Greek there, it's Satanas, which means opposition. And so, forget about a person for a moment and think about opposition, a force. Okay? In context, this is speaking about any opposition to the doctrine of Christ. Any opposition to the doctrine of Christ. So, when people teach that a believer needs deliverance, it's an opposition to Christ. It's Satanas. It sounds worse than Satan. 
So we'll say Satanas. If people teach that uh, yeah, Jesus plus anything, it's Satanas. It's not pure. So Jesus, yeah, what, what Paul was rebuking in the church of uh, Galatia, what he was doing there was he was dealing with a mixed message. He was dealing with opposition to the true gospel. Satanas. Okay? That's what we've got to resist. Any teaching which is contrary to Christ or adds to Christ is fraud. Fraudulent. Okay? It's fraud. Look at Matthew chapter 16 from verse 21 to 23. <clears throat> Easy. No. English Standard Version. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. Okay, so what Jesus is doing is he's taking scriptures from Genesis to Malachi and he's teaching them, he's explaining to them, this is what was always prophesied, I must suffer, I must die, and I will be raised up from the dead. And then dear Peter, in verse 22, stood, uh, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. <clears throat> what does he do? He turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satanas. Opposition. Get behind me, opposition to the message. Because now Jesus has just preached the gospel to them. I must die and be resurrected. And then an opposition to the message comes. And that opposition is, no, 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 no. We don't do that. You're not doing that. Be it far from you. And so what Jesus says is, uh, 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 um, get behind me opposition to the gospel. Okay? You are a hindrance, King James says offense, to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. So if you're truly born again and maturing in the message of the gospel then any message that isn't grounded and uh, centered on the, the finished work of Christ would be an offense to you. The same word, offense. Any opposition to the purity of the gospel would be an offense. You would be offended. Now that doesn't mean every time someone says something wrong in, in a meeting or, or a, a tea party or whatever, you, you just start being offended. That's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is you won't tolerate like sitting under a message like that. You won't tolerate, you won't receive from those uh, ministers or from those people. You'll seek to even try and help them sometimes where it's appropriate. Okay? You, you, you should be able to, to uh, um, identify opposition, satanas. <laughs> you should be able to identify Opposition to the gospel straight away because you're like, no, 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 that's adding to the gospel or, or that's, that's legalism. That's not true. So he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance or an offense to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So an opposition gospel is one that sets its mind on the things of man. Carnality. Not sets its mind on the things of God, which is spirituality. So, the name Jezebel, from Revelation now, in Revelation, is a figurative name. 
It's not, a, um, it's not like God's writing about Henku or Sean. You know, he's not writing about someone. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a metaphor. Okay? Jezebel is a metaphor, um, a figurative expression for a teaching which seeks to seduce and cause believers to go astray from the doctrine of Christ. Astray from the gospel. Jezebel is a teaching that seduces and causes believers to go astray. So fornication and eating food sacrificed to idols isn't literal. Okay, it's figurative. Uh, Revelation 12, 2 verse 14 from ESV. But I have a few things against you. You have some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Who, this is the church before the one we've looked at now. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So this church now that, that they're speaking to, uh, that Jesus is speaking to, is speaking about the doctrine of Balaam. Okay? This is a teaching that inspires greed. This is a teaching that inspires covetousness. Greed is an intense or selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. Covetousness is the feeling or having a strong desire for something that someone else has. And you don't have it. So, this now church is being rebuked for uh, being covetous. For, being, uh, for having a, an intense desire for something material. So the doctrine of Balaam is a teaching that inspires greed and covetousness in believers. It's a teaching that's all about you. It's a teaching that makes you focus on yourself and gets you to measure your faith by material wealth. It's a materialistic gospel. It's a message of materialism. It's a focus on materialism. Okay? This is teachings like five steps to make it happen this year. Don't give up. This is a prophecy. Don't give up. The Lord's about to do it. If I give you a word like that, what, what does that do? It inspires you to focus on yourself. It's Balaam. Any testimony that is based on I got a car, I got a house, I just got a contract, I got married, whatever, those are testimonies that are focused on self, it's material. It's not the doctrine of Christ, it's the doctrine of Balaam. Okay? So we'll leave it there for tonight. No, I'm joking. <laughs> if a church's focus is on trying to acquire material wealth, then we start seeing what we have as an indication of faith. Then we start saying, okay, well, that person's got great faith because they've got great wealth. Let's put them on eldership. That one there, they're struggling with their faith because they're poor. That's Balaam. Okay? Satanas. The focus is not Jesus and what he's done for me. The focus is me. Psalm 91, the psalm of protection, we're going to take up a special offering. And if you sow $91 today, 
or 91 rand, let's say, you'll have 91 blessings. I say dollars because that's where this kind of garbage comes from usually. This is the doctrine of Balaam. God is not a money doubler. <laughs> God is not a money doubler. Okay, it's not a casino gospel. If it was, we would be sending the bucket three times. And then we would be waiting. Okay, God, let's see. He's got to do it now. Because we did our part. Now God must do His part. Right? And I've heard testimony after testimony of preachers around the world who got fed up with that. Because they were like, they are the only ones getting rich. Their church isn't. And then I know some, a lot of preachers like that, big names, who repented from that because they realized it was error. It was Jezebel and Balaam working together. So it's fraud. It creates covetousness and greed. So it's a teaching that it creates that. This is what the Bible calls fornication. It's translated fornication from the Greek word porn you. <laughs> porn you. Okay, which means to prostitute yourself. So when we're going for these kind of teachings, we're prostituting ourselves. Because Jesus isn't enough. Very light-hearted message. <laughs> when I wrote it at least. 1 John 5 verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen. Believers are to stay away from or keep themselves from idols. But the church in Revelation... We see that the teaching of Jezebel seduced people into idol worship, fornication. Idol worship doesn't mean they had a Buddha up front and they were bowing down or lighting incense or squashing fruit or something. Okay, what does it mean? Prostituting yourself, giving yourself to something thinking that you'll get something there. They created a God of their own mind. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And this is what we should be doing. Turning from idols. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16. What agreement has the, the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and I will walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So, from this verse, I want to show you a couple of things. Firstly, the believer is the temple of God, right? Yes. The unbeliever is described as an idol. Okay? Whom God loves and God died for. But until they've received eternal life, they are darkness. And he says, what fellowship or agreement does a believer have with idols? An unbeliever with the temple of God. So a man that has not believed the gospel is referred to an, as an idol. And an idol here doesn't mean image. It doesn't mean, um, what do you call it, trinket or something like that. It's, it, refers to, it doesn't refer to a place either. Okay. What is it talking about when it says idol? Another word for that is self. <laughs> self. Okay? 
So when self becomes more important than the finished work of Christ, it's idol worship. When self becomes more important than God, then self becomes the center of worship. An idol of selfishness is established in our hearts. See, the new birth brings the Spirit to come and dwell in us. We're born again, the Spirit comes to dwell in us, and now the Spirit wants to try and live through us in selflessness. Philippians chapter 2, there's so many verses which speak about how, yeah, even 1 Corinthians 13, love is selfless. That's not just for marriage. It's uh, the, the 1 Corinthians 13 is how we should all be treating each other. Okay? So it's not just about, um, uh, uh, um, for, for every believer now, we're supposed to be walking in love, which is selflessness. But the unbeliever serves themselves, even if they're working in a soup kitchen. Because it's a self-centered reason usually. If you keep just digging deeper and digging deeper, you realize they're serving self. Okay, the God of an unbeliever is themselves. They don't care about anybody except themselves. The believer lives a, a spirit life which compels us and drives us to self-sacrificial love, which is agape. We now want to reach out to each other. We want to be a blessing to each other. We want to love on each other. So the worship of idols is selfishness. It's not a, a, a Buddha or whatever. So the teaching of Jezebel, which seduces and leads believers astray, is materialism. Why? Because materialism will push you to worship yourself. That's why I started with the question, what are you trusting God for? Because it will expose where your heart is. Because if what you're trusting God for has everything to do with your needs, you've just shown us where your heart is. And that you need to repent of being a fornicator. Remember, it's not legalism to point out the truth. It's to help you. See, I set myself up nicely there. So materialism is a message all about self. It doesn't even need to have anything to do with money. It can just be about praying so that you get your needs met. Having favor of God for this and that, the next thing, whatever. So it's not just about money and getting more. It's also about having the perfect life in this world. Which is not possible. <laughs> it's not possible to have the perfect life in this world. Because even if everything goes well, someone you know is going to mess it up. And if that's not going to happen... There, you're, you're going to get a flat tire. <laughs> or your aircon stops working. That's what happened to us. <laughs> so, it's a, a message which gets you to focus on yourself. You become so self-focused that even if there's a need for the gospel, even if there's a person within your reach that needs the gospel, you won't take that opportunity because you're too focused on yourself. If there's a need for, for money for a mission trip, you would say, I can't give because I'm focused on myself. I've got to buy this or that or whatever. That, that's, the, that's where it ends up. Is that we become so self-centered that we're not focused on the, the bigger picture. And we forget that we're living for eternity. We think about ourselves first. We never have enough to give towards the gospel, 
Because we're not serving God, we're serving ourselves. We're not seeking first the kingdom of God. We're seeking first our kingdom and our interests. And hoping God will add unto us. Hallelujah. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 19 to 20 and then verse 24. Jesus speaking. And he said this, not me. So, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now there's so much more that I can say about all of this. And that I need to say about all of this. And I will say this. It's not wrong to have money. And it's not wrong to work to have money. It's not wrong to want more money. Am I against money? No. If you want to give it to me, I'll take it. (laughs) And I'll just use it for good. Whether it's for my family's good, which helps the gospel, or whether it's for the gospel in a sense of a mission trip, we'll use it. It's not wrong. We need money to do everything we need to do. That's all of us in the room. You need to look after our families. We need to uh, uh, do all sorts of things. I saw such a big sin the other day, and I so badly want to share it with you, but I can't. <laughs> so I'll just say that. <laughs> but... You were there. Thank you. Don't you remember? Anyway. (laughs) We leave it there. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. So Jesus is firstly saying, where's your focus? Is it on the temporary and trying to get temporary uh, wealth? Or is it on eternity and wanting to get eternal rewards? There's a lot of wealthy Christians who are going to have nothing in heaven. Except heaven. That's fine. I'd rather have nothing on earth (laughs) and have people in heaven. And have put my investments into heaven so that I get the rewards that are eternal. Verse 24. "No No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one or love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon in the King James, which means material wealth. So you're either serving God or serving material wealth. It can't be both. This is a maturing message. When your Christianity is about what God will do for you and how God will do it and when God will do it and He's going to do it again, You're not serving God. You think God is serving you. I had a prominent leader tell me this one day. We sat down and it it kind of struck me and I had to think about it for a while. He said, what what are you trusting Jesus for? And I said it was so much love oozing and the way that they said it that you you get deceived quickly. They weren't intentionally deceiving me. They just deceived themselves. That's why they said this. And they're going... Did you know that before you serve Jesus, He wants to serve you? Which there's a shred of truth in there. Before Jesus, before you serve Him, He wants to serve you. Of course. He serves you the gospel, you receive the gospel, now you go with the gospel. (laughs) But He was talking about having all my needs met. How do I want Jesus to serve me before I serve Jesus? And I was like, "Um, you know that you're never going to have all your, your ducks in a row before you actually start living for Jesus. You're never going to have it all sorted out. 
We're not called to. There's nothing in the word that says sort yourselves out before you serve Jesus. What did you, the, the rich man comes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I'm, I want to follow you, but I just need to go and bury my dad. And Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their dead. Telling him to come and follow me. His dad wasn't dead yet. He was waiting for his dad to die. That makes it even worse. <laughs> so, so his dad wasn't dead yet, but he, he wanted to wait for his dad to die, to honor him and then bury his da uh, dad, and then go and follow Jesus. And Jesus says, uh-uh, just come. So if your thoughts are towards material, in terms of what am I trusting God for, then you're serving yourself. But if your thoughts are towards the lost and the kingdom, and trusting for the unsaved, and you know this is kind of my vision, I need money for it, and it's not me, it's, it's for the kingdom, then the focus is right. We serve God, we don't use God to serve ourselves. Yeah, I had a wonderful false prophecy once from a false prophet. And it was at a time when we, we, you know, we could have done with some more money. And I remember the guy was like, uh, I had gone to this conference, pastor's meeting, and they had paid for me to be here. And the guest speaker was a prophetic. And he comes in and now he knows that I've been paid to come here. Uh, or they've paid for me to come here. And, um, and he calls me out and he's like prophesying lots of money coming in. And he's prophesying like great dresses for my wife. And you're not going to have a problem with money and all of this. And there was a lot of things that they said. And it was like, wow, this is touching my heart and you know, I was crying you know there was a lot of things that were really like just stirring up all this emotion and and everything and um and uh, uh, uh what he said resonated with me immediately amen <laughs> amen it was amazing I was like praise Jesus he knows my situation and then I started thinking about it and I, I quickly realized that this guy is prophesying that because he knows about my situation and I was like, and all of that was really carnal, actually. I don't feel so good after that prophecy. And um, it, it, if I had received that, it could have made me start praying about that. There's the problem. It's, it becomes, the focus is no longer Jesus and the kingdom. The focus is me and that prophecy coming to pass. I'm, you know, I'm praying about a prophecy I received. That um, I'm going to have such and such a job. Or I'm going to be living in such and such a place. Or this business thing is going to do this. And we have all of these kind of like words from God. The God of our minds that we've made up. That this is going to happen and that is going to happen. But it's got nothing to do with salvation. It's got nothing to do with helping people eternally. But don't get me wrong. There's a little tag attached to those um, uh, uh, prophecies. You'll have more so you can give more. You'll have, you'll have more influence so you can be more influential. And there might be some truth in that, but the focus is still on me. Yeah. So I flushed that uh, prophecy where it belongs. I didn't pray about it. Because if I had started focusing on it, I would have allowed the spirit of Jezebel and Balaam. To steal my focus and pull me off. And I would have started worshipping myself. Because I would have become my idol. And I would have been looking to how can uh, uh, God uh, bless me. See, when we preach Christ and the finished work, and that inheritance is not material, the inheritance of Christ is not a material uh, uh, thing, then people who worship self are not interested. 
A lot of them have left Grace Life. Because they've, yeah, if you've given yourself to Jezebel and Balaam, then those kind of messages provoke you. I don't like that message. And I'm like, why? I don't understand. We're saying how awesome Jesus is. And just saying that, you know, money has nothing to do with the gospel except the gospel needs your money. <laughs> That's all we're saying. But if I don't preach a message on how to fix your problems, and you're upset with that, then it shows that you're worshipping yourself. Because you've created this appetite for self-indulgence, and I haven't preached a message about how to fix your problems and your situation. So me just talking about how awesome Jesus is, isn't enough. And you leave dissatisfied. Jude 1, 11. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain, and abandon themselves for the sake of gain, to Balaam's error, and perished in Korah's rebellion. So the error of Balaam is greed. It's seeking gain. The key thing about the doctrine of Balaam is materialism, greed, and covetousness. It seduces people away to start worshipping themselves. So I've got a... One more passage in the King James and then the, the Passion. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Imagine being labeled that. Supposing that gain is godliness. So these are people that think gain that is godliness. And it says, From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, clothes, let us be content. I like how Paul, writing to Timothy, puts things into perspective very quickly. And this is a passage which uh, people don't often, like this isn't people's favorite passage. We like the passage given, it shall be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken together, <laughs> running over, Hallelujah. And I can explain that verse to you. It's not talking about money. Look at the Passion from uh, verse 5 to 10. They, will, they add misery to many lives by corrupting their minds and cheating them of the truth with the doctrine of Jezebel and Balaam. They equate the worship of God with making great sums of money. So... This is saying that you believe that being a Christian, you should become a rich. You should be the wealthiest person on earth. Can I show you how that's not true? Just look at the Middle East. The wealthiest people on the face of the earth are not Christian. They are not far from Jesus. They're not close to Jesus at all. Verse 6. We have a prophet that is greater than theirs our holy awe of God. To have merely our necessities is to have enough. So many Christians don't like that. We're not satisfied with having enough. Because we go walking through the mall and everything on every window is telling us, you need this. And we're just like, I don't have enough. I'm sure that there's needs, legitimate needs in the room. 
I'm sure. But we're all here, we're all breathing. Nobody looks like they're going to fall over from hunger. That's, that's awesome. Nobody came naked. <laughs> Even if you wanted to. <laughs> anyway, verse 8, no, verse 7. Isn't it true that our hands were empty when we came into this world, and when we leave this world, our hands will be empty again? Because of this, food and clothing is enough to make us content. But those who crave wealth of this world slip into spiritual snares, referring to Jezebel and Balaam, the teachings. They become trapped by their troubles that come through their foolish and harmful desires. So it's your desires which are the problem, it's not money that's the problem. Driven by greed and drowning in their own sinful pleasures. And they take others down with them into their corruption and eventual destruction. Loving money is a root of all evils. Some people run after it so much that they have given up their faith. Because you can't serve God and money. And so they're chasing after money and they want to make money so much that eventually they abandon faith. And abandoning faith starts with stopping coming to church. It starts there. And then they just grow cold. And then they just keep wandering to the place where, you know, I don't know why I'm not experiencing the blessing of Abraham. <laughs> Craving more money pushes them away from their faith into error. Compounding misery in their lives. I like how it says that. Compounding misery in their lives. So this is showing us like we need to make sure that we're not enjoying a message because it appeals to carnality. That we're not looking like our playlists of our favorite messages that we listen to is not just all the stuff that appeals to myself, but it appeals to like the stuff that is going to mature us isn't necessarily the stuff we want to hear. Okay? God will make you a millionaire. It's fraud. It's fraud. And I'm sure all of us want to be millionaires. There's one, one guy, fake uh, prophet that I know. He, he has a, million, a billionaire's club. Where you pay him money to be part of this club so he can pray for you and minister to you and help you become a billionaire. I would love to know how many of them have become billionaires. Teachings like give and God will give you more, it's fraud. You know, and the, the Bible teaches how he meets our material needs. But that's a whole other sermon on its own. In conclusion, I'll say this. Ask yourself, am I serving myself or am I serving God? Have I given in to greed and covetousness, to put it in a nicer words, than what we've used previously? Fornication and all of that. Am I in idol worship or am I actually... Serving the God that the Bible speaks about. And allowing my heart to change as I'm confronted with these truths. Because, you know, we get to choose the direction that our lives go in. We get to choose the, the way we go. God can call us in a direction and we can go in that direction with or without Him. 
We can go in the direction that God's called us to, not focused on spirituality, but focused just on carnality. I believe that God would want some believers to be in highly influential positions to be able to influence the kingdom, for the kingdom. But, some people get so caught up in the position that they forget about the purpose. And they're like, I'm a businessman for Jesus. You don't see that in the Bible anyway. But let's say that it's okay. They're like, I'm a businessman for Jesus. And then you're like, well, what are you doing for Jesus? I'm making lots of money. That's nice. But there's more. There's more. So Father, I just ask now that by your Spirit you would just confront each of us with the, the reality of where we are at as individuals. And if there's any area of our hearts where we have, that have been exposed tonight as given into Jezebel or Balaam in the sense of becoming materialistic and greedy, Father, I pray that you would show us how to get out of that and simply just embrace the simplicity of Christ once again. Learn to be content with what we've got. And walk in the purpose and the ways that you've got for us, Father. Thank you that there's never condemnation when we realize we're heading the wrong way, but there's always just correction. And when we can just go in the right direction. And that's maturity, is realizing we're going down the wrong road and just humbly making a detour. Taking a different path. Thank you, Father, that you are love. And that each one of us, you love intensely. You love us passionately. You love us without reserve. Your love for us is forgiven us of all of our sin and acquitted us from every charge. And as we focus in on that love, even over this week ahead, I thank you that there would, we, would, we would give in to that compulsion within us that rises up and wants to pull us towards being a blessing to other people. That we would let the, the rivers of living water that we've received flow through us to, to be a blessing and touch others. Thank you, Father. Just take a moment and just in your heart, just talk to the Lord and if there's an area of your heart that you've seen that's been exposed to you tonight that needs, you need to adjust, then just talk to the Lord about it for a moment. Ask Him, where, where should you change? How should you change? What's the right path? Just speak to Him.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know what? I, I just feel like God put on my heart as, we, as I was closing there was just this amazing thought that, you know, sometimes your focus is wrong. Like in a sense of you, you're looking in the right direction with the binoculars, but it's just a little bit blurry. And then you just need to adjust it or clean the, uh, um, the lens and then you can see clearly. And I just felt like the Lord saying, you know, that, that there's, there's some of you that you, you, you feel like you, like I've been looking down the wrong path completely. And the Lord is just saying, no, just relax. Just allow him to bring the clarity. Just, just adjust one or two things. You're just adjusting one or two things and, and then you can see clearly. And you'll be able to uh, 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 see the direction that you're going. Amen. We trust this teaching has blessed you and enriched you in your faith. We want to invite you to contact us online www.gracelife.co That's www.gracelife.co You can find a whole bunch of free teachings online. You can also find out how to partner with us should you wish to support this ministry. And you can find out how to contact us if you have a prayer request. We invite you to contact us www.gracelife.co